Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. And so I said, I'm going to sit down and get my words together. And I remember I said, I want to just say a few things. A few years ago when this whole thing started with Black Lives Matter, I remember you can even say that without people thinking it was like, almost like a, not a slur, but a... I don't know what you would phrase it as, but me, a threatening, a threatening yeah, but, but, but me as a black woman, I could not say black lives matter. And I just, every time I thought about that, I was like, this is dumb. I'm black. Like, I know I matter. Like, you don't ever have to question that the same way you do. And you, so it's so weird. Fast forward to 2020 and with everything that happened, like it literally took a knee in the neck on video, on the news for like everybody to kind of get on board. And that's what I talked about in what I wrote. I said, you know, I think it's just heartbreaking that in 2020, I finally can string those words together without the majority of my comments from viewers being hateful. Wow. And I said, I don't know about you, but as a mother, I can't look at my child. And I showed the picture of my son playing basketball with his dad, which is the cutest little picture because the two of them, he's like jumping up in the air. And I said, I cannot as a good mom, because I'm a good mom, I cannot look at my boy in the face and say, Black lives don't matter. I can't say, are you kidding me? The same way I wouldn't expect that from you, you better be telling your kids they matter. That's how we raise good people. So that's where I came from it from, not necessarily as a journalist, but just to say, you know what, we're all here. And it's gonna take all of us. Cause like you said, if you look into boardrooms and companies, the majority are not black. So we can't do the big power move change, you know, the way things are. It does take all of us and it takes all of us not feeling threatened. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and we're joined in the studio with my colleague, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Hey, Kelly, and hello, listeners. You know, we've had such an interesting episode planned today. I'm just so excited about it. Regardless of where you live, whether in a market that's large or rural, we're all going to learn a lot from today's guest. Absolutely. Yes, because I have a girl crush on her and have for (laughs) many years because she moved to this market about the same time I did. And she's been a fixture in our broadcast market here in East Tennessee for 18 years now. She has an Emmy-nominated and award-winning journalism track record in service to our community She is from Miami, Florida, and she graduated from Florida A&M in Tallahassee with a major in broadcast journalism. Her career took her from Miami to being a contract field producer for the New York City market, and she even worked in communications herself for the city of Miami in 96. So her perspective spans both the journalism and the PR side. Yeah, and somehow Knoxville was lucky enough to land her here in our market in 2002, and we've managed to keep her talent here with us in East Tennessee. I am so glad to finally have her here with us because I'm eager to get her insights from the perspective of local community journalism in the year 2020, which has been such a year of a lot of tumultuous news and societal upheaval. So it's going to be fantastic to have her perspective. I totally agree. I think that it helps to get a journalist's own perspective, especially one who herself is so much in the public eye as an anchor of a respected morning television news program. So with that, we will not make you guess any longer. (laughs) We're thrilled to welcome Tirsa Smith, the anchor of Good Morning Tennessee and midday anchor at WATE 6 News here in Knoxville. 
welcome to your set to misinterpret it. Thank oh. you so much. You all make me excited to meet me. That was fantastic. <laughs> it was. Wow. I'm, I'm honored to be here, though, and, and to really just kind of talk and just see where we land with this conversation. So many conversations are being had right now in the world and in our country. So let's do this. Absolutely. Well, I've always wanted to get to know you better. So now you're going to be my friend. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tirsa, being in the PR business, Mary Beth and I have a real appreciation for how chaotic the news world is these days, the 24-7 cycle of journalism, and the fact that you're taking some time out to share with us today. Thank you. My first question is, could you ever have imagined not a news day, but a news year yeah, like the one we've had in 2020? Listen, let me off this ride. I yes, mean, I know. All of us are in that boat. This has been the most exhausting year, but also very eye-opening. So I'm grateful for that aspect of it. I feel like an old woman, like, come gather children. Let me tell you about back in the day. It was like maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or however long. <laughs> there, there was a time when usually there was like one breaking news story of the day. And that was the story that kind of held for a few days. And for those of you that work in PR, you'd have to do damage control on that one story for a few days. Right. And now it's like every day, multiple times a day, it's almost trying to juggle what is the big story of the day. Because there are just so many, whether it's local or national or international right now. So no, I never thought we'd get here in 2020 the way we are right now. You know, we're balancing a pandemic. We're balancing racial injustice, addressing it, finally. The economy, it's just so much going on right now. It's hard to kind of stay focused. Yeah, my breaking news alert goes off about every oh, five minutes. Battery drained on my phone. <laughs> right. Yeah, same, same. Well, and I think that one of the big things that's so different this year is the fact that we have these long simmering crises. It's not something that's going to go through a news cycle and be over in two or three days or even two or three weeks. We're dealing with these issues that are going on for months and presumably even for years when we look at what experts are saying could be the the COVID-19 situation, some real change in our society across the board. So I have several questions about your take, Tirsa, on all that's happening, obviously in current events, but also the role of journalism in society these days, because we're in such an urgent era of citizens and of our community members needing reliable and substantiated information. But first, I'd like to kind of go back to your early career, Tears, if that's okay, because I'd like sure. for our listeners to get to know you a bit better personally and what's brought you to your career success today, what your pathway was all of the career developments and a lot of the challenges and obstacles that you, I'm sure, have dealt with along the way, kind of going back to even high school and college days. So first, what motivated you to first consider a career in broadcast journalism? So I was the kid in school that talked too much. <laughs> and my mom, I'll never forget, I was in first grade and my mom was like, I really hope you figure out how you can do something with all that talking. And it was like a running joke. Like my dad always oh. makes fun of me because I do. And my kids are just like me. My poor husband is an introvert, not introvert, but he's way more reserved. Neither kid is like him. So I remember in first grade, I was in Miss Jones's class and we had a chapter on female first. And I can still see the picture to this day. It was a picture of Connie Chung. She was standing and kind of leaning against the desk and she had such a power pose in this picture. And I can remember she had her bangs and she had her hair pulled up in a bun, which she normally doesn't do, but in that photo she did. And it talked about her career in journalism and being the first Asian American to anchor a network news program. I was just so like, 
oh, you can get paid to talk? Like you can get <laughs> Hello, paid, you can get paid to talk and ask a lot of questions? If only it were that <laughs> simple. I know, I know. <laughs> right. um, but when I saw that, I was like, mommy, I think I want to be a reporter. And so ever since then, my mom was like, okay. So, and she always has supported and kind of pushed me toward that path. That is great. Since it, first I, yeah. grade. Since wow. first grade. Connie Chung, I will never forget that photo. It was in black and white. <laughs> Hello, age. But yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. And I think that just having those first moments of inspiration when we're really young and then having a parent or any family member or family friend or that role model in your life to say, you can do this and kind of giving you license to pursue that. And I've had that throughout my life. I've been very blessed. Every endeavor I've gone through, there's always been that one person that for whatever reason has nurtured me with their words or with their support to kind of tell me, keep going to the next step. Right. Keep going to the next step. This is it. Keep going. I worked for the city of Miami for their communications department. And this was such a random internship that I got. I was one of those kids where if you see something on the bulletin board, you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna sign up for that. What's that? That looks <laughs> oh what a, you know, so it was some kind of um internship and I can't remember what the program was through, but I worked as an intern in high school with the city of Miami. And that's where I learned how to put together press releases. And the woman, I can't remember her name, and it really bothers me that I don't remember her name. There was a woman who was a director over that department. And for whatever reason, she was always like, come here, I have something for you to do. Come here. She didn't let me just kind of sit and, you know, sometimes interns, they just end up collecting dust. You know, they're just buying the time to say I had an internship. And she wasn't like that. She was like, you need to learn how to do a press release. Go work on this and give it back to me. Yeah, that's and how we are with our interns. They definitely do be, work. Yes. 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 Yeah, 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 out of the frying pan into the fire, yeah. you know, getting real, <laughs> you know, nitty gritty experience. It matters and it makes you feel seen. As a yeah. young person, I think often we make teens and kids feel be seen and not heard. Yeah. Right? But if you start young, kids start to develop that adulthood to say, oh, I'm important and I need to be doing something because I'm important. And she made me feel super important. And that went on to when I was an intern at WTVJ in Miami. My mentor, who is so funny because I still consider her my mentor, and she's like, if you don't stop it, we're on the same level now. And I'm like, no, no, you're still my mentor, even if you don't know it. She was the same way. I remember dressing very casual on my internship, and she was like, what do you want to be? Her name is Trina Robinson. She knows I love her to death like family. She said, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, you know, I want to be a reporter and an anchor one day. She said, start dressing like it. And she didn't say it nicely. She said it like, this is not a conversation. Go put your clothes. So I showed up the next day in my church clothes because I didn't know. I said, I put on my suit and I was ready. It was pastel. I'll never forget it. It was like yellow. And it really made an impression on me because she would always be like, you never know the contacts right here in this room. She said, you're not always going to be 19. That's right. She said, and some of these people may still be in this station and they need to see you as a young adult who is driven. And it stuck with me. Well, I always say dress to the position to which you aspire. That's right. And then my friends and family make fun of me because I always dress up when I fly because I think I might meet somebody on the plane who's important. <laughs> and if I can afford to fly first, I definitely do because I'm always looking for a new client on the she plane. Is. She's you always never, working that's new smart. business. Yeah. Especially for what you do, that is smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one of my new business strategies, dress up and fly first. Yeah. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> but, but one thing about the story that you just told, Tirza, that I love is just the fact that from a mentor, you didn't get this sugar-coated version of anything. It oh, was, no. I don't really care if I hurt your feelings a little bit. I am going to tell you the unvarnished truth about what you need to do and how maybe you're falling short today. I think that in our society today, there's 
I oh, think it's different. Yeah, it's, different. It, it, it's such a, oh, you can't hurt my feelings or you can't, if, when we're really trying to help each other, you know, so anyway. I, th- no, that, but I've learned that over, yeah. I, I have learned that over the years that I can't do the same approach because it doesn't receive well for this generation. And so, and that's fine, you know, we adjust, but I also make sure, like I have young ladies in our newsroom and not that I'm that old, but you know, I've been there a bit, but I do have young ladies in the newsroom where we have that connection where I can say, hey, let me, let's talk about your live shot. Or, hey, try this, you know, and they respect that. And so if you respect that, then I'll give it to you. But if you don't want it, I don't offer it up. Right. You know, I just, that's, that's, you can usually tell, you can usually tell. So when you were first getting your foot in the door and those initial jobs in places like Miami and then working as the contract field producer for the New York market, and then you were in a smaller market, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, what stands out in your memory of those times and those early days of, Reporting. How long is this podcast? Um, <laughs> so my first on-air job was in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, or Hoptown, if you're familiar with the area, as they call it. Very small station, smaller than this room that we're in, recording. And Hi. I, it's, oh yeah. Uh, and I was actually out of the bureau in Clarksville, Tennessee. So we would go, it was about three of us in the bureau. We would put our stories together and then we'd have to drive them over to Hoptown so that they can be inputted into the show. Uh, kids, this is before all the digital downloading. And... I remember the first time I felt so like I arrived, I'm a reporter now, here we go. And the adrenaline of my first, you know, I got my story together, my first professional story. All right, I'm going to drive the, it was a station wagon. It was, I'll never forget it, TV 43. (laughs) The new station wagon. Horrible. I don't know how I even survived going from point A to point B in that thing. But I got stuck behind uh, an Amish buggy. And all I kept thinking was, you like, like I've arrived, I've arrived, I'm going to the station to give them my story. And I was stuck behind an Amish buggy for what felt like an attorney. I was like, I'm not going to make slot. Oh my goodness, because of because you can't go around the, the right. law as such oh, for their safety. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, but in Hopkinsville, they have a very large community. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. I did. yeah. Yeah. Nobody told me either. And I'm from Middle Tennessee, so that, that okay. totally oh, yeah. resonates. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What did you make it? Oh, I made, I made it. Okay. I made it. But it was one of those, like, you think like, you know, news is bustling and here we go. And then it was like, skirt. And we're just going to slow it down to about 10 miles per hour. <laughs> I would have probably just passed the, the Amish buggy because I'm such a risk taker. I tried, but I was so scared. <laughs> You're like, I might get fired if I pass the Amish buggy. I, I have so many memories. I remember when I first got there and the different sources that I got, that they just took a chance on this young lady who just moved there, not from the area. You know, certain regions are very, if you're not from around here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I was able to kind of break you were a from lot the big of city. that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, and I was able to break a lot of that. And so I have nothing but good memories about my small town market That's great. Uh, experience. Like it was just absolutely unbelievable. I'm really glad. And I'm currently reading a book that's been in print for some years now. It's by legendary broadcast journalist Carol Simpson. She's the first woman of color ever to anchor a network newscast for those listeners out there who may be unfamiliar with her. She headed up ABC World Report in the late 1980s. And in fact, Carol Simpson was the first woman of color ever to moderate a presidential debate. Her book is called News Lady, and it's a really a biography chronicling her life as well as her career journey, which started in the 1960s. She just truly a pioneer in her field. I remember when I was a PR student at the University of Tennessee, I got to hear her speak. She came to campus. Wow. I was in communications and actually Melissa Carter, who's been another podcast guest, and she's had a really great radio career in Atlanta. But Melissa Carter and I were both students at UT at that time and went to hear her speak. But one thing that about Miss Simpson that she said that was really interesting to me was that 
She said that throughout her career and throughout her life, that it was her personal experience that she received the most career limiting discrimination because she was a woman. That was her experience. But I just love to get your take on the issue too of ageism. I know Carol Simpson has a really neat YouTube channel now, and she talks a lot from the perspective of a woman who is now, I guess she may be in her late 70s, and she talks about ageism too now. And she's really been dealing with that for many years as well. But I'd love to get your take on this issue that Carol Simpson has given voice to for so many years of women's ability to forge career success over multiple decades in the broadcast field, because you've been in the business now for some time, but you've got a very long career ahead of you. And I would just love to get your take on that. You know, it's, it's funny you should say that because there's such a taboo in TV news about women aging. You can see a male anchor and he's got his gray and he's distinguished. And, yeah. You know, that voice yeah. changes. And for women, for the most part, we kind of max out at a certain age because most news stations, they're young and pretty. And, you know, it's it's a thing. I, it's absolutely a thing. Personally, and this is just me, and I, I don't expect anybody else to live by this. I don't have a problem discussing my age. In fact, I try to say it as much as I can. Because How old I, are you? Oh, I'm 42 and I'll be 43 right. this month. And it's exciting because it's a blessing to age. Yeah. And it just takes people to normalize aging because there's wisdom with that. There's experience with that. I'm not a young cub anymore, reporter. I'm just not. But at the same time, I've got many years left to go. Right. And so we have to make it so that viewers, and, and I say this a lot, I have a group that I started with a girlfriend of mine. She's an anchor reporter out of L.A., and it's called Black Women on TV. It's a private, closed Facebook group. And it's kind of a safe space for women of color who are in TV news, who just need to talk with people who kind of understand their daily struggle. Because local TV news is just a different beast when you're a minority. And so one of the things that we talk about is don't put that pressure on yourself to be almost like an Instagram model. Like, right. I'm not here to be beautiful for you. Now, yes, I, I strive to be professional. And, I, you know, of course I care about how I look. But at the end of the day, I'm not here to uphold a standard for you, the viewer. I'm here to give you news. I am here to make you feel good because I'm morning news. So I do want you to feel like, all right, let's start this day. And and we started on a positive note. But as young women, be careful. Because once you start down that road, you invite, you know, it's a new day. We have a lot of different people who may not be staying. You know, be there for the journalism. Don't be there just because once you get a certain age, it's not the same. So those Instagram pictures you're doing today may not hold up <laughs> at age 50, but you're still a great journalist. Yeah. Well, I want to comment on that because I don't understand it. So oh, I know I, I know it's a money thing. I get that I think it's a money thing for in journalism, broadcast journalism, that they hire younger people because they can pay them less. I was married to a reporter and anchor of Good Day Philadelphia, who's still one of my good friends. So I know the business. But I don't have the same level of, not respect, but just, I I don't want to hear what the youngins have to say (laughs) so much as I want to hear what... You heard it here first. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And sometimes I just sit there and I go, what the hell? I mean, is it just a, what is it? But here's the thing. I feel like we all should have a place. I feel like we need to have the young reporters, but we absolutely need to have those that are seasoned. We need to have black reporters. We need to have gay reporters. We need LG. We need uh, Jewish. We need everybody at the table because how can you represent a community? How can you tell their story and you don't even understand them? Right. Unless you give people the time to get to know or to research or to really true. But I'm talking about daily cycle stuff. 
Right. And, you know, I didn't mean to imply that we shouldn't give oh, young no, no. people I knew what jobs. You meant. I knew what you meant. Yeah. I, I, I get it. I right. get it. But it's not balanced right now. No. So I hear what you're saying. And I, I've had so many friends and acquaintances who have gotten pushed out of broadcast news because of ageism. I mean, nobody actually says that. Right. But I think about it for myself because I'm 52. And sometimes when I have a bad day and I'm talking to my mom about it, because I talk to my mom almost every day. And she's like, well, why don't you just go back and get a job in corporate America? And I'm like, why? So they can fire me when I turn 60? Because we experience ageism in communications a lot as well and PR. Yeah. And I will say, yeah, when I was starting out, I felt like when I was young, I couldn't get a thought in edgewise for my ideas because people, the ageism was reversed Reverse the ageism. other side. It's like, you can't possibly have an idea to contribute because you're 25 years old. So I kind of see both sides of it because, and I think we all experience that, but as we go on in our careers, it turns differently. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It does. So hopefully by talking about it more, by yeah. talking to our sons, the way we speak around our children, that would help as well. Not just whittling women down to just, oh, isn't she beautiful? Exactly. So all those things, it starts very young. We can't just change it. That's not a policy thing. That's a mindset culture thing. It is. And it's a confidence thing. It is. I mean, I think as women, we have to own who we are and our worth every step of our career journey. And that just leads me right into my next question about your personal life. So <laughs> on this podcast, we seek to dispel myths. That's why it's called Ms. Interpreted. That is the name of the podcast. <laughs> and, you know, the way you come across is that you can do it all. You're beautiful. You're on the news. You're smart. You're married. You have kids. You're educated. I mean, we love seeing your Twitter pics that <laughs> you send out to Brighton everyone's morning. And so how do you do it? How do you do this with and still look utterly stunning and mm. just keep it up? Uh, Listen, know. some mornings it's smoke and mirrors, but thank you. Um, <laughs> you know what? It's all about authenticity. I don't have the energy or the effort to be something I'm not or to try to match. Like, I always laugh because I have so many girlfriends who are newscasters and they have these fantastic Instagram pages and they're, you know, they're in a garden, they got in a beautiful outfit. And I'm like, after work, I'm in sweatpants. What are you all doing? <laughs> and I think viewers kind of relate to that, that I try not to put on airs. If I'm having a bad day, I'm like, hey guys, struggle bus, who else is with me? Oh, me too, me too. You have to present yourself like a real person. And I think viewers have connected with me because of that. Every day is not pretty. I can tell you that. There are days when I'm a fantastic mom and there are days I'm like, oh, this day was held together with duct tape, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it just is what, and sometimes at work, it's like that. It's like, I'm exhausted, yeah. but I got to kind of smile through it, you know, and sometimes I'll just say it on air. You guys, I'm exhausted. Anybody else tired, you know, at home? So I, I think being authentic really, really helps with how you're perceived in your, because it's not that I've got my life together. And if you really kind of go back and look at my stuff, I don't. But you like the fact you can relate that life is not perfect and it should not be. It's a learning experience. And that's a gift because I don't think everybody has the gift of authenticity. And I think it's almost like you either have it or you don't. And that comes across when I watch you on the news. And that's one of the reasons you're one of my favorites. Yeah, so and you've you. just, you're just such a great role model, I think. And for women, I think, and men too, especially from the standpoint of all that you've accomplished in your career and what you represent in the journalism community, I think you're a great role model for all of us. And I think that the integrity piece, and I, I do want to turn the conversation to 
how you've worked on the front lines of community journalism and like what that means, you know, it's just so important. I'd love to get your insights about kind of this news gathering and news reporting of our modern age now, because I think it's under such a microscope. One thing I've always appreciated in our local market, Tirsa, is that I feel like the news community here is fairly straightforward. Rarely in my career, while I've been based in Knoxville, and I've been here for just over 20 years myself, rarely in my career have I seen reporting tactics that I disagreed with or like gotcha journalism or some other markets. It is very different from what it's like here. So things are above board, but still the journalism community just takes its job really seriously. You ask the tough questions, you're doing your job. But what are your observations about working with PR people in this community? Do you think that working with public relations professionals who are based here in East Tennessee, that it's different from PR people who are based in other markets? Since, I mean, I know that you all get pitches and you all get approached from all over the country. Oh, I'm on somebody's listserv right now, and I just got to figure out how to get off of it. I get a a pitch like 50 times a day. But, you know, so far I've had a I've had a very pleasant experience in terms of local PR. I think one of the advantages we have is that East Tennessee is a very um, grassroots, very down home type of market. So you can't just I'm just going to throw out some press releases. And, you know, you got to kind of relate to the people here in this area. If you don't, then it just doesn't fly. It just doesn't sell. So I haven't had any bad experiences. I think one of the things over my years that I've kind of had as a takeaway is that you can tell when something is authentic or manufactured Mm -hmm. in terms of like right now we're in this whole cycle of Black Lives Matter. Everybody and their mom has put out a, you know, some type of blurb saying we support and we But at the end of the day, people can tell if it's authentic or if it's just a saying. Mm -hmm. Do you live what you're saying? Like, do you have diversity on your staff? Is it something you kind of start? You know, so I think those are the things that people, not just journalists, see through when it comes to PR. So in terms of East Tennessee, because we have not had that, we're having that conversation right now, but it's not like some of the bigger cities where things have happened. Right. I think for everyone, it's kind of a wake-up call on practice, how, how to really live what we say we're doing. So we advise clients on whether or not they should say anything. You know, they're constantly asking us, should we make a statement? Should What should we say about COVID? What should we say about racism and social justice? And so we decided in our agency that we were going to put together an action plan, a diversity action plan. And because we advise clients to usually do that, then I felt like it was important that what you said about doing what you say you're going to do or walk what you're the advising. Walk. Talk, walk, don't just walk talk the, the talk. Walk, walk the walk. Walk the walk. So um, we put it together and we released it. And it was you know really simple baby steps. Like on Juneteenth, we're going to take the day off and we're going to volunteer for an organization that needs us. Or maybe we'll take on a pro bono project for an organization that needs us. We hire, you mentioned, interns in our conversation before we started on the podcast. We always have a Project Grad Knoxville intern, and we are going to increase and take two interns now per summer instead of one. We set up a scholarship fund. We are going to actively seek to hire diverse candidates because I can count on like one hand the number of diverse candidates I've ever even had apply to our agency. And we sent that out, and it was really heartfelt. It was not to be vogue or to be like, oh, I'm on this bandwagon. It's because, as I said, and I've told Mary Beth, I grew up in the rural South and I grew up in a racist community. 
I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I have a business. I now get to say what we're going to do in our business, just like I get to say what we're going to do in our household. Mm -hmm. And so we've gotten a little bit of pushback. And I just wonder, as a journalist, have you experienced any of this kind of media hatred that seems to be going on across the country where everybody's just hating on the media? It's your fault for everything. Daily. Daily. It's it's. When I tell you the culture has shifted so much from when I first started, first you have to factor in the fact we now have social media. We have, you as a a society, the access you have to people, not even just reporters or journalists, but just to everybody, companies. You know, there was a time where if you want to complain to a company, you had to find the 1-800 number and then hope you didn't get a robot or a computer. And now you just get on there, you can get on Twitter and just say, you all didn't do such and such and such. And if that gains traction, now you got a PR nightmare. Right. Same thing with news. If they don't like something you've done, they put it on your Facebook page or they send you a bunch of inboxes. So the access is just increased. So not only do you get viewers who want to say, hey, I like what you do, but you definitely get the ones that say, I don't like what you do. So that has been a little bit of an interesting twist. Now, does it bother me? No, because you know what? Sometimes people just got to get some stuff off their chest. I'm going to let you. That doesn't mean I have to engage per se. Right. So, right. you know, you can go ahead and put it out there and then, all right, thank you. And I'm going to go ahead and, you know, hide it because it doesn't, it's not really beneficial. In terms of the culture of news and local news, it's so interesting to see some of the pushback that we get when I don't think people realize how important local news is. You can sit all day and watch CNN. You can sit all day and watch Fox News, MSNBC. But when there is an explosion downtown and you need to figure out, are you safe? Are there chemicals in the air? Where are you going to go? Absolutely. You're going to go to local news. If you want to find out who's in charge of your community and what they're doing and who's going to be the fact checkers, because those are the things that really matter to you. If the mayor is not doing something right, that affects you literally directly. Network news is not going to look into that unless it's literally so egregious that they got to come, you know, descent on our little small (laughs) town. (laughs) So it's maybe one day we'll get back to a point where we'll understand the, the importance. Criticize. Call us out. That's fine. But some of the odd personal attacks are just sometimes a little like, ooh, you know, what's yeah, going on? Yeah, should I call security kind what? of thing? Oh, and I do. I have no problem with that. Yeah. Like, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so unfortunate that that has to be part of what you deal with in your job on any given basis. But, you know, I guess that is part of it when you're in the public eye. I mean, how much do you feel like coworkers who are not of color deal with that? Is it the same or do you feel like- It's the different isms. So you may have ageism uh, where they're called out for being young, for being a woman. You definitely get those. People will figure out a way to hate on you. It just, you know, they'll just say, I don't like what you did, but also this too, like uh, something personal. Yeah. Um, You've got to have a tough skin. You have to have, and and I, I tell that to every single one of our reporters that just start, you don't have to reply to everybody. Everybody doesn't deserve your time or your energy. Some stuff just needs to go straight to KPD. So you need to make sure that you're protecting your personal peace. Um, Absolutely. Don't, don't let things get to you. Like there's nothing you can say about me that's going to ruin my day. Because I know who I am. Right. I literally know who I am. And what you say doesn't yeah, you know, if you say something nice, I may walk away like it's a good day. But <laughs> if it's something that's just kind of tearing me down, that doesn't affect me. Well, have you ever had a stalker? We don't have to I put have, this in the podcast. I, I just want to know. Like I said, I'm a very open book. It's for most things I don't mind talking about. I have not had a stalker. I have had inappropriate contact. But again, I don't let things fall to the wayside. I had uh, a man that sent like a letter or two to the station. And I immediately call KPD and I say, hey, I don't like this. And this is what they sent. 
And I'll never forget, uh, at that time, Daryl DeBusk was the PIO. He said, I got somebody for you to talk to. And the detective, it was this female detective, she messaged me and she said, don't you worry about it. And literally never heard from him again. But she said, I found out where he lived. I told him it was inappropriate. You know, she basically right. shut him down to say, yeah. what you're doing isn't flattering. You're compromising this woman's safety. And yes. so, I mean, it, it does happen, but it, that goes back to that whole Instagram. Don't open the door. Protect not only your peace, but your physical peace the best you can. Yes. And know that somebody had your back, you know, in law enforcement to help bridge a difficult situation and knowing that in the future, if something like that happens, you know what to do and you feel like you have some recourse and it's not necessarily the company's problem or the company's. Right. Now, they do do a good job. We yeah. are supposed to always let them Report know a, oh, yeah, yes, so they can have yeah. it. Yes. That's good too. And I keep, I keep notes. That's if you good. say anything cross to me, it is saved in a file somewhere because yeah. you just never know. Of course. And everybody should do that. Well, of course, know. of course. So I've noticed that, well, we're in the heat of a presidential election, mm -hmm. as you know, and I've noticed that most of the local coverage hasn't really been local. It's just been national feed. How are you as a journalist or WAT as a whole organization, how are you addressing the presidential election to localize it more? And you know, how do you keep a balanced approach? You know, I think you know, this is just old school journalism. We try to do our best to make sure that you've got a block of stories and it's all say if it's something the president, but it's something regarding the election, not necessarily policy, because that's different. But if he is talking about election type of issues, then good journalism is stacking your show so that, okay, well, then we need to hear from Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And just trying to make sure that right. there are more than one set of eyes on a rundown. So if a line producer goes through and does a show, we have an executive producer that goes through and just kind of says, hey, I don't like the way you place this with this, or hey, you're wording here, here. Also, for me, anything that I read represents me. So if John Doe is at home, if Keisha Johnson is home, I always like to use different names, you know, so if Maria is home and she's watching, they don't know that somebody wrote that for me. All they know is Tirsa said. So I try to make sure that anything I write, you know, if you're going to put kind of a lean on it anyway, it needs to be the kind of lean that I would approve of in terms of charisma, not opinion. Yes. If that makes sense. Well, which journalism should be anyway right. for you. Right. But, you know, they're learning. You've got younger folks. It takes different sets of eyes to just make sure that we're always doing what we're supposed to do. Sometimes you miss some stuff. We're human. But at least if you have three set of eyes, you can kind of catch mistakes or things that could land us in hot water. I've always wanted to come be a producer for a day just to see if I could. I do don't it. know how they do it. I'll be very <laughs> honest. I was an associate producer. That's what I started out as. When I was in Miami at the NBC station there, and it was I was fresh out of school, they offered me a job after my internship. And I'll never forget the pace of it because every day is a deadline and there is no fail. Like there is no, well, better luck tomorrow. There is no fail. And I remember as an early writer, you do your little stories and I was so excited. So again, fresh out of school and I'm writing for these big anchors in Miami. And I'll never forget Alicia Ortega, who I'm still friends with today. She was a morning anchor. You knew it was bad because she put her glasses on and she had her pen and she starts walking over with the papers in her hand and she go, <laughs> come here and let's talk. And she would print out all of my scripts that she didn't really like. And she go, and this is why I did not like this and the way you worded this. And did you check your, I mean, she broke me down, but she made me so meticulous. Anything I gave her, I promise you, I read it 50 times because I was like, that woman is not going to call me again today. Right. But it made me better today. Yes. And it takes time to do that. Sometimes I feel like with my employees or interns, 
sometimes I just am like, oh, I can just do it faster myself. And you have to get out of that mentality if you want to grow a team that's a productive team. But you also have to be able to tell people, go faster. Yeah. You got yeah. this. Go faster. <laughs> I'm counting on you. I know you're young, but come Sometimes on. Sometimes good is good enough. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Going back to some of the racial divide that we're dealing with in our country right now, I wrote an article recently for a trade publication in PR, and it was called uh, The Big White Elephant in the Room. And it had to do with the fact that until white leaders stepped up to the table to start having some of these conversations and lending voice to it, in my view, I didn't think anything in our industry, in the PR industry, which is very white dominated, was ever going to change. In our local market, kind of going back to what Kelly was talking about a moment ago and the fact that, you know, her company had put forward a statement about what we wanted to do as a team and how we wanted to try to forge systemic change or societal change in a positive way. And some of the blowback that she got, in our view, because the Knoxville and the greater Knoxville area, demographically, if you look at U.S. Census Bureau numbers, we're talking about, you know, from Knoxville, probably, what, 80, 85% white. It's 8.9% black and 4.4% other, because I just wrote a column for the Business Journal and I looked it up. And in Blunt County, here where I live, it is 93% white, non-Hispanic. So we're talking about overwhelming demographics that, and it kind of goes to that point, if the white community does not lend voice to this, then it's going to be just continuously so glacial in the pace of positive change toward inclusion that this is something that we really have to have conversations about. But the divisive factor and I would like to get your take on this, about the Black Lives Matter movement. There is so much, I think, misunderstanding and divisiveness around it because at our agency, when we talk about Black Lives Matter, and we've had some guests, we had a Twitter chat just this week with a gentleman who his topic was how to overcome the fear of Black Lives Matter. And he is an African-American gentleman. So he was talking about it from the standpoint of just the message of inclusiveness and all of that. But we got some blowback from some people in our local community who are white leaders who view the Black Lives Matter organization and the placards or the posters at the demonstrations or at, you know, they've seen in the news media where maybe buildings are getting burned down or looted and they're associating it with a green light or saying that criminal activity in some way is okay, that they're translating the message to a whole other area. I wanted to get your take on this being in the news media and just having this vantage point of seeing everything going on and how how can we bridge this gap with the white community if they are associating Black Lives Matter with really maybe only one thing that they're seeing in national news reports. It, does this make yes. sense? Okay, so I'm going to break my reply down into two sections. Yep. First, as a journalist and then as a Black woman. So first, as a journalist, my best advice is to diversify your news sources. You can't, Great advice. You literally cannot watch one network. And I'm talking national because local, I just want you to watch WATE. Yeah. But nationally, I want yeah. you to switch it up. Because everyone has their different slants and leans. News now, especially at the network level, it's kind of like a bowl of stuff. You've got the facts of the stories. Like, here's what happened. But then you've got the pundits, which are not journalists. So they're giving opinions. And then you have also shows that are not, some shows are led by 
journalists are hosted, and some are led by pundits who have a show due to popularity and influence. And so at some point you have to ask yourself, okay, now which one am I watching today? Okay, I'm watching a pundit. So these aren't necessarily facts. These are conversations with their particular lean or, and I hate to use the word agenda because I hate when people, you know, your agenda. Interpretation or misinterpretation. There you go. There you go. And that's that's part of the problem. So if you're only watching one network all the time, especially if it's not one that is known for being down the middle, then yes, at some point you will misinterpret things like sayings, Black Lives Matter. When all of this started really just boiling over after what happened with George Floyd, I remember really struggling. Okay, so let me let me go back just a little bit. I have a, a group that I was telling you about called Black Women on TV, and it's everyone from young ladies who work in small town markets, the middle of Idaho first job, to working in the network. Carol Simpson is actually in our group, by the way. I meant to tell you that. She's in our group. Oh, so, bad girl. And this was a grassroots, I mean, my girlfriend and I were just like, you know, we got to do something because we need a place where we can talk and just kind of be there without all of the false pretenses of being professional on the job and then being professional and black on the job and then black and a woman. It's a lot of layers to life for a lot of people. And so one of the things we talked about is how emotionally draining it is because you're a black journalist and you're seeing what's happening in your community, but then you have viewers that expect for you to act like, number one, it doesn't affect you. Number one, it's not important because it's not important to them. So therefore, you can't really talk about it in a manner that is compassionate, but still fair, still here's what's happening. And so we were just kind of guiding some of the younger reporters about, listen, you don't have to give a statement on your Facebook page. Everything doesn't have to be addressed because, number one, we need you in this job. We need black reporters in this job, just like we need all other demographics represented. So you got to keep your, like like my mom would say, you got to keep your good job down at the station. But be smart. Your advocacy is in your journalism. Your advocacy is in being there to make sure that every story is heard. Yes. Um, If you're doing stories, to make sure you show a complete picture of the Black community. One of the myths we always try to dispel is the fact that, you know, oh, they're all single moms. They're all, I grew up at home with my mom and dad. Now, that's not everybody's story, and I get that. But we should have the luxury of having the complexity of knowing there are different types of families out there, just like you all. You know, yes. it's a, there are single moms that are white. They're still families. The respect still needs to be there. And so one of the things I kind of struggle back and forth with is, do I write something? What do I say? And I, it took me a little while because I, I just kept saying, like, Lord, I need the words. I need the words to be right. And so finally I did. And I said, you know, the one thing for me that I feel people can relate to is motherhood. And so I finally put up something and because I was just having a moment where I was just like, I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like looking at this on TV anymore. Oh, I know. I'm tired. Like I'm tired. But I've got two little kids at home. My, my son, Chase, who is just this little weird kid. He is just this funny little, you know, if you tell him, hey, you want to go play football this year? He's like, no, nah, I'm gonna read a book. Like he's just like this <laughs> funny little kid. And he's athletic to a degree, but he's mainly like his thing is he's going to be a scientist one day. And so then I've got my inquisitive girl who is 11, Carrington. And both my kids are very, I guess, empaths. Like they feed off what what you're feeling. And so I was just kind of like in a moment. And so I remember my husband took Chase outside to play basketball. And their thing is that Chase always wants his dad to record what they're doing so he can look at it later, uh-huh. you know. And he's like, dad, dad, put the, put the phone over there so you can get me shooting hoops and watch this. And he'll do something. And so I just remember Lou, my husband, sending me all these photos of them. And I was just like, I needed to cry because I'm like, here's my little boy who clearly does not understand the world. And he doesn't understand that we are going to have to have the talk. You know, everybody talks about the talk. 
we because at some point society won't see him as the cute little boy that I see him as, you know? And so I said, I'm going to sit down and get my words together. And I remember I said, I want to just say a few things. A few years ago when this whole thing started with Black Lives Matter, I remember you can even say that without people thinking it was like almost like a, not a slur, but a, I don't know what you would phrase it as, but me, a threatening, a threatening yeah, but, but, but me as a black woman, I could not say Black Lives Matter. And I just, every time I thought about that, I was like, this is dumb. I'm black. Like, I know I matter. Like, you don't ever have to question that the same way you do. And you, so it's so weird. Fast forward to 2020 and with everything that happened, like it literally took a knee in the neck on video, on the news for like everybody to kind of get on board. And that's what I talked about in what I wrote. I said, you know, I think it's just heartbreaking that in 2020, I finally can string those words together without the majority of my comments from viewers being hateful. Wow. And I say, I don't know about you, but as a mother, I can't look at my child. And I showed the picture of my son playing basketball with his dad, which is the cutest little picture because the two of them, he's like jumping up in the air. And I said, I cannot as a good mom, because I'm a good mom, I cannot look at my boy in the face and say, black lives don't matter. I can't say, are you kidding me? The same way I wouldn't expect that from you, you better be telling your kids they matter. That's how we raise good people. So that's where I came from it from, not necessarily as a journalist, but just to say, you know what, we're all here and it's going to take all of us. Because like you said, if you look into boardrooms and companies, the majority are not black. So we can't do the big power move change, you know, the way things are. It does take all of us and it takes all of us not feeling threatened. Right. You know, right. you can't go through literally hundreds of years not seeing a people and then telling them at the very end when finally we do have a little bit of come up in power, well, no, Black Lives don't Matter, all lives matter. But no, I need you to see me. Like, I need you to see me because we have not been seen. So now is a time where we all have the power. I think society, we've advanced so much. Don't stop now. We, right. We've advanced so much. If you've got power in your job to do something, do something. Right. And it's okay if you get pushback. It's all right. Yeah. Mary, be fine. Mary Beth. Would you explain, you wrote this so eloquently about how a lot of people, maybe most people or most white people, associate Black Lives Matter, the movement or the organization, not the movement, the organization with violence and looting. And we had a Twitter chat yesterday that Mary Beth referred to. And I said, well, Black Lives Matter has a PR problem because now the organization is completely associated with violence and among some people among see, some people say, among the, the see, white I don't, community i hate to say this it's not a pr problem it's a you know it takes a lot to say yes the past was bad yes we can do something and move forward i think it's convenient and easier to just i think it's easier to just kind of say oh no no those are all bad people i think common sense you look at some of the video and you can tell that the people who are doing some of the things like tearing down not tearing down, but vandalizing buildings and such are opportunist in that moment. And we're all smart. We can look at it and see. Well, and I think somebody. it was in Nashville or one other market, like everyone who was doing the looting, they were white people. But again, yes. it's convenient not to see it. Like, yeah, I, I know I'm right. looking at it with my eyes, but I just know it's it's the Black Lives Matter movement. And I'm not here to do PR for them. Right. But at some point you have to say to yourself, OK, get past that. What are they trying to say, though? Am I okay with addressing what this community is asking for? Am I okay with whatever power I have in society right now to do something to make a change? Like, get past all that. Okay, buildings will be rebuilt. 
Think about every hurricane we've had. Cities have come back. These inanimate things will come back. These people will not come back. The people who, and not just, and it doesn't take the people who have necessarily been killed, but even just people who have faced injustice, things that have set them back in their life. It's hard to come back from some of this stuff. And so if you can do whatever you can to make things right, we talked about this earlier about the lack of minorities in PR, the lack of minorities in journalism. I have two parents who literally help me do everything. If I had a dream about something, my mom would be like, okay, get your daddy and we will help you figure it out. You know, and, and so that's how my parents are. I'm very fortunate. Everybody is not. And if your family doesn't have some type of generational wealth, which a lot of black families don't, some do, but a lot don't because of where we've come from in America, then I don't have the money to go to a free internship. Luckily, I'm from Miami. So my free internship in Miami worked out because I'm still at my parents' house. I can afford that. And the knowledge I got on that internship literally was life-changing for me. But I could not have afforded that if I was, say, from Nashville and needed to go to Miami. My parents have been like, now that might be kind of hard because we got to mm-hmm. find room and board and food. And you need some little clothes so you look like somebody while you're there. You can't afford. We have young journalists right now of color who literally are struggling, like all that fussing and tearing people down that we talked about in your comments. And then you're going home and you barely have food to put on your table. You know? Yes. So it's, and and that's where the conversation gets into the equal opportunity. It means what you're describing means that, you know, equity. Yeah. They're not getting the opportunity even to be able to try because of the economics of their reality. And if we had some of these folks, and it's not even just, you know, Blacks in PR, Blacks in news, it's all different fields. Think about the missteps. For example, this week, uh, we were looking at the NFL, and I hope they're not your client, but the NFL. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But but let me give you my opinion. (laughs) Let me give you my opinion. Okay, so wake up this morning to find the NFL is going to be playing Lift Every Voice and Sing for the first week of the games when they go back before the national anthem. And we were just kind of all like, who asked for that? That's not helping because we're not in a place of healing right now. It's kind of divisive. Like it started out real kumbaya for a little bit. And now it's kind of like we're on the back end where we have an opportunity to make some changes. But people are kind of now like, I don't know. And then to do something like that, it's like, well, if you had somebody of color really there at the table to say, you guys, I don't know if this is this is more showmanship. Let's put, like you said, put out a program to say we're going to get more blacks in the office of the NFL. Right. There Not you just go. the players. Like there this is our go. action yep. plan. This is what we're going to do. Those are things that make you go, well, oh, I like that company. That's a That's message. That's real. That's a message right there. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, what you just said is so indicative, I think, in the PR profession too, for just from the vantage point of what we're seeing. Our own industry association here in the U.S., had put out a statement about a month ago, early June, I guess, that was all, we have always embraced diversity and we will continue embracing diversity. Their management is all white men, except for a few exceptions of maybe some white women. In terms of those Mm -hmm. who are in the positions that are actually making budget decisions, policy decisions, all of that. Now, they may have a diversity committee chair who is an African-American woman. They usually are, yeah. (laughs) And and that's another thing, you know, relegating the diversity role or the the diversity box in the broadcasting area. I mean, getting the story that's about a racially undergirded story. Well, let's give that to the black reporter as opposed to let's give the black reporter just as much opportunity on every story of substance, not just one that has a racial 
issue tied to it. So these are the systemic things that we in the PR profession are struggling with too, because it does go to this idea of if you're putting out a message that is not undergirded with truth and reality and the policy change of true inclusion, then we are just shooting ourselves in the foot because we're harming our own credibility That's right. as, as a profession. And like you said, it's not checking the box. It's not a matter of saying, okay, it's 10 people on the board. We got to make sure three are black. If you actually go out and just look for people who are qualified and who really could it's add, people. you'll yeah. just get, you will get them. You will get them. And it's funny you should say about being a black reporter and getting the stories that are maybe geared toward race. Or I do a, a special every year called Hidden Histories, and it is our black history special. And so it's so funny you should say that because in the beginning of my career, I did struggle back and forth with the whole, okay, I got the black stories. But after much thought, it's kind of like, good, because I know I'll do it justice. I know I will put special thought into it. I know, not saying that my colleagues wouldn't because they would, but with my background, I know that there's a special weight to it. So over the years, I have really just found more joy in putting things like that special or just giving my input on stories about race in the newsroom. Like we, I'm trying to think if I should tell this story. So we had a, <laughs> oh yes, you <laughs> so, must. So now. why not? Why not? Why not? Because they were very gracious. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. So for example, I, especially as you get older, you kind of don't care what you say out loud. And I think that kind of comes with time and being seasoned. And so, you know, when we're in the midst of all of this stuff, you know, with the protests were going on in Knoxville and everything was just kind of ramped up. And so I kept making conversations about making sure we were focused on what the truth, don't get so caught up in the protest. We need to always be looking at the message. What do these folks want? We as a newsroom, are we addressing, are we doing the stories, not just showing, look, walking, walking, somebody threw a, a rock in a window. Are we talking to people in these marches saying, why are you here? Why are your kids here? What have you dealt with? Talk to me about what it's like in East Tennessee, really getting into the story, not just the video of the day. And so it was one morning and it was one of our local police stations. They had put out a photo composite of some folks that they were looking for. Now, remember, we're in the height of all of this, especially when it comes to African-Americans being arrested and making sure, not given special permission, but the same respect or the same treatment you would give anybody else. And so the pictures that came out, instead of just being either a mugshot to say, hey, we're looking for these people, we know who they are now. Instead of just showing a regular photo, because what do you need to know? If it's a photo, I need to know what they look like. Face, maybe body, height, weight, whatever. And the photos were so subjective. The woman was like on the table. She had like a bottle of Hennessy in her hand and her tongue was out like this. And then the guy also had a bottle. I mean, but it was random because the story had nothing to do with alcohol. Like it wasn't like they robbed a liquor store, you know, because then I would be like, well, okay. But it wasn't that. And so I messaged them and I said, hey, let's talk real quick. These pictures, you obviously got them off of their social media. But why these pictures? Because I don't know if they're guilty or innocent and they may well could have done it. But if they're a suspect, you're not judge and jury. You're here to find them. So you can't tell me out of the pictures you sent, it was four photos, two of the man, two of the woman. The two photos that they had out of the four would have been just fine because they were basically clear pictures of their face. You could see what they look like. You clearly had another look at them. The other two were subjective because it already paints a picture. You know, we're in varying, yes. right now everybody's all heightened. 
So if you're not a person who has yet to kind of come to the other side of, you know what, we all need to get on board in, in this thing, you're looking for things to validate your feelings. So when you look at this photo, it's like, look at that woman. She's got that, you know, bottle in her guilty, hand. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Yeah, and, and, and you yeah. know how the comments go because I yeah. know you all look at yeah. social media. Yeah. And I said, I said, this is what we're talking about. I said, this is what your community, I called them and I said, listen, I said, I don't care if you never talk to me again, but I'm just going to tell you, this is why people are marching. I said, there was no reason out of those four pictures for you to include those two. I said, you've made yourself judge and jury. And they were very, they were receptive. He very Good. quickly said, you're right. And they took down the two of them Good. and kept up the others. And I said, and I said, please, no, I'm not saying that every black person that gets arrested is innocent. I'm saying the treatment needs to be fair right. the way you would anybody else. Why do you have to tell somebody that? I don't know, but here we are. But I mean, it goes for the whole thing. Why do I have to tell you that as a woman? If I'm 55, I'm still a fantastic news anchor. Right. But apparently you still got to tell ever. people. I mean, you've been right. doing it forever. Right. So you're, yeah. And I'm confident. I don't have those new people jitters because I've been here a while. So I don't know why we have to still make these, have these conversations, but we do. And we have to be real comfortable with saying it and we have to be comfortable with receiving it. And I will say they were very, very like, you know what? I see you. I hear what you're saying. And you approach that so professionally in terms of putting forward there's some nuance here that clearly when you made this decision, whoever it was, right. you had this lens in front of you or these blinders on and let me help you with those blinders. And you walk them through it and it didn't have to be a big, ugly confrontational nope. thing. It was an opportunity to educate and you took that opportunity to educate someone. Hopefully they won't kind of make that mistake again. Hope so. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. But that's for all of us. I mean, we all have our biases. When we look at people, we all have our assumptions. But at the end of the day, we have to literally realize we all have our struggles. We all are going through something. We all have our joys. And a lot of it is alike. Uh, and if we could just kind of work in that a little bit more, I think we'd be a whole lot better. Well, as we're soon coming to the end of the chat here, I do want to say that I guess my big hopeful takeaway for those listeners out here who are also your viewers in this market in East Tennessee. I mean, I'm just hoping for those of us who are white, that if we could just amp up the empathy gene a little bit and understand that just because if we don't view or see or experience racism or a neighbor who has experienced racism just because we don't see it or perceive it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And that is the big problem, I think, in a market that is so homogeneously white as we are in East Tennessee. I think that we sometimes just don't have that empathy gene to understand the extent of the problem or have an openness to become educated yes. about it and to listen to the voices of those who are experiencing something that is very real and that we need to try to lend positive voice to so that we can be a better community and be a better society. And that's, I guess that's my sort of call to action. I was going to say call to action, which is I haven't walked a mile in your shoes. I haven't lived your life experience just like you haven't lived mine, but we need to be thinking about that. I mean, I, I don't know how you know, else to I, say I, it. I, I see it like if you're out at the mall and you see a little kid who clearly has separated from their family. You're like, look at that little kid over there crying. She can't find her mom. What's the first thing you do? You go, are you okay? Hold on, we need to find your mom. 
because you know that this person is in need of something. In distress. I don't have to be like, yeah. oh, that kid is bad. They probably left their mom. No, I'm going to go, you're a little kid. Hold on. Let do me find something. your mom. You get out there, you do something. I think if we had more of that mentality of like, you're my people. You're, no matter who you are, you're my people. You're my neighbor. Yeah, if you're a woman and you feel like something is happening in your job where, say, somebody is targeting you in terms of sexual harassment, okay, I'm watching for you. You saying that there's problems? Yes. Okay, I'm watching. I got your back. Right. You know, at least so you know you have somebody that can be there, be an ally, can say, no, I saw that. And when we go to HR, I can say, I saw that and I'll be the witness. Put my name down. So I think if we could live our lives like that, don't be so quick to say, well, that doesn't happen. It just it hasn't happened to you. Yes, absolutely. But it may, it happened. It yeah. happened. Yeah. Well, I wish we could have you on again, and we will. I could talk all day. I, yeah, really? I'm, I'm all, yeah. I mean, I'm really and, thinking. And I know yeah. I've kind of merged from like, I, I kind of toggled back and forth between journalists and just giving you my take as a black woman here in East Tennessee. But when I first came here, I had a lot of friends that were like, what in the world? You are going where? Because I'm from Miami. And, and yeah. I didn't know much about, I, I know nothing. I knew nothing about Knoxville when I came here. But it became home. I, I met my husband here. I clearly could have left a long time ago. I've had job opportunities, but this place is beautiful. This place it is, is a special. wonderful community. We, it's a wonderful, and but we have opportunities to grow. I yeah. always tell my friends, don't get so caught up in big cities. I said there is some security here in terms of safety. My kids can play in their yard. And it's all, I don't have to stress. I mean, I, I still, I'm a, a hawk, but, right. but, you know, there is so much beauty in this community that should attract so many different types of people. And when we have that opportunity, we just got to make it happen. We really do. And that's what we're trying to do. And to lend voice to it by that's right. means of this podcast, by means of our own diversity action plan. And, and kudos for that, just, by the way, not, not yeah. just because I'm here, but as a smart person who just looks when you're looking at the news, when you see an action plan versus a just a statement, people see through statements. And trust me, people contact us to say, oh, I saw that statement that they put out. But let me tell you what it was like for me as a person who worked there of color. Uh -huh. So people can call you out if you're not really putting into plan the words you say. Yes. That's why we wanted to have an actionable plan mm -hmm. that was achievable. So we set small goals and, and we will hopefully be able to build on those goals year after year. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really enjoyed myself. Oh, I'm so I did. Glad. <laughs> well, you've you've brought up so many thought-provoking things, and it just seems like you know we need to kind of have this as a continuing conversation. So, if there are opportunities here in the near future for us to, you know, have more dialogue among other members of our community too, let's continue looking at those opportunities and making them happen. Because the more that we're talking about this and what Julia Anglin Joy, one of our other colleagues, she calls the difficult conversation. You know, we've got to be open to having the difficult conversation, not be so difficulty averse That's <laughs> that, that we fail to have conversations that create a system where we don't make progress. That's, that's just, right. That's just not an option anymore. And look how far we've come. Like we yeah. have no excuse not to keep this thing going. Yeah. yeah. And I just appreciate you lending your voice and experience to this. And maybe we can have you on our Twitter chat because I think we really need to keep this conversation going in Knoxville among women, um, among everybody. But I think that, like you said, we've got to have each other's back. We've got to check on each other. We're all human beings we're in this together. We've heard that it sounds so cliche, but we're not going to get out of it, as our previous podcast guest said, without each other. You know, I saw a, a comment about 
we're all in this together that really resonated with me about we're all in this together, but we're not all experiencing the same thing. And we have to be so aware of that because sometimes it's so easy to tell people, just pull yourself up, you know. But what if my arms are tired? Mm-hmm. You what know? if you're weary? Yeah, I'm weary. Yeah. So that's a good, point. I, I appreciate this open conversation. I really do. Listeners, we're so happy to have had Tirsa join us. You can connect with Tirsa on Twitter at handle Tirsa Smith and via Instagram, Tirsa underscore Smith. And be sure to follow her newsroom at WATE Channel 6 at Twitter handle at 6 News. And please follow us at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also follow me at Twitter handle Katie Fletcher and Mary Beth West at Mary Beth West. And don't miss our Twitter chats on the last Wednesday of each month using the misinterpreted hashtag. We love to have direct dialogue with our growing base of followers. So do give us a shout anytime. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.